Good morning and welcome. This morning, uh, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 79. Psalm 79. Now, Psalm 79, as you are turning there, is categorized as a communal lament. A communal lament. And that means that it is an expression of deep sorrow or even frustration for the hardships and the trials of God's people. There is hardship and therefore there is grief. And there is grief at a community or at a national level for an event that has happened. And there are clues within the psalm that tell us that this lament has occurred following the destruction of Jerusalem by the hands of the Babylonians in 587 B.C. 587 B.C. We read of this event at the end of the book of 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 25, there it says, In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, a servant of the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down, and all the army of the Chaldeans, that's another way of referring to the Babylonians, of the Chaldeans broke down the walls around Jerusalem, and the rest of the people who were left in the city, and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, were carried into exile. You see, the Lord had warned His people. He had warned them if they rejected His ways that He would remove them from the land and send them into exile. You see, the Lord has so graciously given the people of Israel the land of Canaan. He had taken the Canaanites out of this land because they had been evil and He gave it to the people of Israel. And over and over again, the Lord sent prophets to His people warning them that judgment was coming if they continued in their evil ways. These prophets implored the people of God to repent of their wicked ways, to rid themselves of false gods and of unjust practices and of empty religious ceremonies. Yet generation after generation turned from the Lord. Now the Lord is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. But after generations and generations of restraint, the Lord called forth the Babylonians to bring judgment upon His own people. And Psalm 79 was written to give voice to God's people as they endured this hardship brought about by their own sin. There are no excuses given. There are no denials of culpability, but rather there is a call for God to show forth mercy to His covenant people. There is a plea that God will show pity to the people that He once called His own Son. In verse 5, the community of Israel calls out, How long, O Lord, will You be angry forever? This is the central question that this psalm is seeking to address. How long will the Lord allow hardship and pain to continue on the people of Israel? Does God's anger against Israel mean that He has completely rejected them as His own people? Does it mean that He has completely turned away from His covenant promises to save? All of us have come to a place in our own lives where we have called out to the Lord, How long? You may have had a relational struggle 
with a spouse or a child or a sibling that seemed to have no resolution in sight and you called out, Lord, how long? Maybe you have been struggling with a disease such as MS that has no known cure and you wonder, Lord, how long? Other of us, others of us have loved ones whose health is on the decline, a spouse that is suffering, a parent who is languishing, and you want to know from the Lord, how long, O oh Lord, will you allow this pain? Will you allow this hardship? Will you allow this suffering to continue? And as a community, as a nation, and even the world, we are all dealing with the effects of the pandemic in one way or another. Now, for some of us, the pandemic has been more of an inconvenience than a hardship per se. But for many, this season has been one of the most disturbing and troubling times of their lives. Many of us have lost our ability to provide for our family. Healthcare workers have been stretched thin as they are daily exposed to potential harm. Many of our seniors have had to isolate themselves for months at a time, struggling with loneliness and depression and anxiety. I know that there are many who are struggling personally with fear and anxiety because they do not want to spread this disease to those that they love and interact with. They feel the weight of keeping others safe. And of course, there are those for whom this virus has had a direct effect whether losing their own health or losing a friend or a loved one. Psalm 79 gives voice to God's people as we are in the midst of such struggles. It gives us an opportunity to corporately call out to the Lord and to hear His calming voice, to hear His reassuring words. For what we will see is that in the midst of this lament, God has a purpose for the suffering. And the question of how long is given resolution. For the Lord is working through our hardships to bring all of His people to a place of distinction, a place of repentance, a place of trust, and ultimately to a place of praise. So hear now the word of the Lord, Psalm 79. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O oh Lord, will you be angry forever? Will, you, will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. 
Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. This is the word of the Lord for God's people. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you now in this time. And we come to your word and we ask, O oh Lord, that from it you would speak to us. For we are a people who need to hear your comforting voice. We are a people, Lord, in the midst of hardship that need to hear an answer to the question, how long? And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak to us clearly that You would anoint me, Your servant, with Your Spirit, that You anoint those who are gathered here in this place and those who are watching this service virtually, that we might hear Your Word by Your Spirit and be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And it's in His name that we do pray. Amen. When the Lord brought the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, He warned them that they were not to give into the pressures of accommodating to the ways of the Canaanites. He said to them in a warning in Deuteronomy chapter 7, as they are poised to go into the promised land, into a land that they will be surrounded by those who have foreign gods, they have foreign morality to what Israel was to have. The Lord said, You shall not make a covenant with them. You shall not intermarry with them. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You see, the Lord has called the people of Israel, He has called His people to be a distinct and holy people, dedicated to Him alone. But the people of Israel did not obey the Lord's commandment. You see, by the time of the exile that we are reading about here, they have become very much like the nations that were around them. They were mixing the true biblical religion revealed to them through the writings of Moses with false gods. They had made covenants with other nations, intermarrying with them and allowing the false religions to infiltrate the true worship of God. They loved the world. They loved the nations. They wanted their approval. They wanted their alliances. They wanted their protection. And so if the Lord did not intervene, His people would be destroyed. Not through war, but through dilution. Not through genocide, but through syncretism mixed into oblivion. And therefore the Lord brought hardship upon His people. 
to bring them to a place of distinction, of holiness, of separateness once again. To re-infuse into the communal mindset the reality that they are a particular people set aside for the Lord Himself. For hardship has a way of driving a healthy wedge between the people of the Lord and the world. Look at verse 4. And how it represents all that we have read in Psalm 79 about how there was this distinction brought about through hardship that the people began to see the reality of the relationship that they had to their neighboring nations. Verse 4. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. For the world that Israel so loved turned on them in a moment. And Israel's eyes are open to the reality of their relationship to the world. They are a distinct people among the nations. This is the same warning that the Word of God gives to us today. For the Apostle James writes, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, when things are easy, when health is good, when bank accounts are full, when tensions are low, we can become lulled into the belief into the false belief that we can serve God and the world. We begin to start putting our hopes in stocks and cars and homes. We begin to fall in love with political parties and professional sports teams and Hollywood actors. We desire to be accepted by the broader world. And so we begin to compromise. We begin to compromise our beliefs. We begin to compromise our morality. We begin to compromise our identity. So we begin to look more and more and more like the outside world. And we lose our distinction as a holy and unique people called out by a jealous God to be His own possession. And so the question of how long How long will our struggles last until the Lord sufficiently draws us away from our love of the world? When we see that here we have no lasting city, when we see that our citizenship is in heaven, when we can say with the great Reformation hymn, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, His kingdom, not the world's kingdom, His kingdom is forever. How long will the suffering last? How long will the hardship continue upon the people of God until we are different? Until we don't look like the world and we once again take up the mantle of being a holy, distinct priesthood of God set aside by Him for His own good pleasure. For our God is jealous for us that we would not be like the world but that we would follow after His way. We must be brought to a place of distinction through our hardships. The second thing that I want us to see in our text is that we must be brought to a place of repentance. When hardship comes, it is time for us to evaluate 
our lives and our communal lives in light of God's Word and to seek repentance for the ways that we have rebelled. Look at verse 8 of our text and see how this repentance is reflected there. The psalmist says, Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. The people of God see that they have broken His word, that they have rebelled against His good commands. There is no pretense or excusing of behavior. This corporate lament rather gives voice to Israel's repentance. How long, O Lord, how long will you allow hardship to last until the Lord has brought His people to a place of corporate repentance? Until our eyes are opened, our hearts are softened, and our souls are contrite. Now, it is important to realize that there is not always a direct connection between your personal hardship and your personal sin. Even we see reflected in verse 8, this call to repentance is communal. And do not remember against us. See, against us is calling out as a group. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. This is pointing the people of Israel to the fact that it is not only the sins that they are engaged in now, but it is the sins of generations before them that have led up to this place. It was generation after generation that turned away from the Lord. The Lord was slow to anger. He was abounding in steadfast love. He had much patience with His people. But throughout the generations, the sin of God's people brought Him to a place where He needed to bring hardship so that His people would be brought low and repent. And so when hardship comes into our lives, we must realize that it is the result of living in a world broken by sin. Why one gets cancer and one does not, why one is in an accident and while another is spared, is not always the direct result of someone's personal sin. Nevertheless, God ordained such hardships so that we might repent of all our sinful ways. That we might be awakened to the reality of our brokenness and return to Him in humility. You see, when hardship comes, it reminds us of the truth that the wages of sin is death. And while pride might not have been the reason that you have a bike accident, it sure helps relieve you of any prideful inclinations of your athletic abilities. The pain and suffering in this world that comes to God's people is the result of His fatherly love to draw sin out of our hearts like poison from a wound. Even as Jesus says in the book of Revelation chapter 3, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. You see, a time of suffering is a time for repentance. It is time to search your heart and by the power of the Spirit turn from your your wicked ways. How long? How long? Until the Lord brings His people to repentance. And how might the Lord be using this time of hardship in our nation and in our world to bring His people to repentance? 
to draw us away from the love of the world, to draw us away from our fear of death, to draw us away from our self-centered pride that thinks that we can control the reality of the things around us instead of relying on and trusting in the Lord. You might want this world to go back to the way that things used to be. But you need to understand, God doesn't want you to go back to the way you used to be. He does not want His church to go back to the way that we used to be. But He desires to discipline us with His love that we might repent and that we might be changed. How long? Until the Lord brings us to a place of distinction. Until the Lord brings us to a place of repentance. And third, until the Lord brings us to a place of trust. You see, hardships and suffering have a way of building our trust in the work of Christ. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul speaks of suffering. He says, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We see the same dynamic at work in Psalm 79. Look at verse 9. There we read how the people of God call out to Him with great hope and trust. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of Your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for Your name's sake. You see, when the people of God come to a time of hardship and suffering... It causes them to call out to the Lord in hope that He will bring salvation, that He will atone for their sins. It is not that there is hardship coming and it's a sign, therefore God has turned from us, but rather it causes the people of God to turn in hope and in faith and trust to the Lord who has promised salvation and who has promised to atone for their sins. When we suffer, it should cause us to call out to the Lord with great trust that He has brought to us salvation and atonement for our sins through the person and work of Jesus Christ. While no suffering is pleasant while it is happening, as Christians, we can rejoice in the midst of our suffering. We can. I know, when I read these words of Paul in Romans, I'm like, who are you? We rejoice in our sufferings. What do you mean we rejoice in our sufferings? But the reality is, is if we have a forward-looking eye of trust and faith and hope, we realize that the present suffering that we are enduring will produce what it is that we desire. Salvation from our sin. Atonement for all our iniquity. And so as Christians... We need to be able to rejoice in our sufferings because it's producing in us greater and greater hope and trust in Jesus Christ. For He is our help. He is our salvation. By His death on the cross, He paid the penalty for our sin. He released us from the eternal punishment that our sin deserved. His blood was the atoning sacrifice covering over all our rebellion, turning aside all of our punishment. And therefore, the prayer that we read in verse 9 has been answered. God has saved His people. He has delivered us. He has atoned for our sins. And this means that as we suffer, we must continue to look to Jesus Christ in faith. 
We must continue to hope in Him. For the pain of this world will last a moment, but we trust that through Jesus Christ we will enter a world where all pain has been wiped away. But this is not true for everyone who is listening to this sermon in this moment. For if you are not in Christ, then the current sufferings of this world is merely a foretaste of the suffering to come. And therefore, hardships come so that we might repent of our sin and we might trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time. So that the hardships of this world will not make us harden against God, but rather will draw us into the arms of a good and gracious God who has atoned for our sins, who accepts all who come to Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hardship comes so that more and more people will be drawn into a trusting, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. How long will the suffering last? Until the Lord draws all of His people into greater trust into His Son and the salvation that He offers. For we need to be brought to a place of distinction so that we're different from the world. Holy. We need to be brought to a place of repentance, turning from our sin. We need to be brought to a place of trust, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ alone to atone for our sins. And finally... We need to be brought to a place of praise for God's great name. That is, God allows hardships into the life of His people to draw them to a place of blessing and honoring His name. We see this throughout Psalm 79, that the Lord is moving to avenge His people so that the nations would no longer mock His name and no longer mock the people, but rather that as He delivers His people, glory would be brought to His name. As He atones for their sins, it would be done for the sake of His great name. We read in verse 10 this contrast. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Right? The nations see what is happening to the people of Israel and they taunt the people of Israel. They say, you know, if you really had a mighty God, a God that was mighty to save you, these things wouldn't happen. But look, the nations have come into Israel. They've come into Jerusalem. They've burned down the temple. They've burned down the house of the king. Do you really believe that there is a God who is watching over and protecting you? And the same taunts have been leveled against the people of God throughout history. Ever does the world taunt our God, making a mockery of His name. The suffering of God's people bring about this problem. When the nations see that His people are suffering, they mock the name of the Lord and they say, Where is your God? And so the people of God lament. They call out to God to turn His judgment from Israel to the wicked nations. And in doing so, great praise will be brought to the name of the Lord. As the Lord Jesus was hanged upon the cross, the same taunt was leveled against Him. For we read in the book of Matthew how those who looked on said, He saved others. He cannot save Himself. He is the King of Israel. Let Him come down from the cross and we will believe in Him. He trusts in God. 
Let God deliver him now if he desires him. You see, as the people of God are mocked and taunted, so too is the Lord God himself mocked. Yet when he brings salvation to his distinct repenting and trusting people, the nations will see and they will honor God. He will bring great praise and honor and glory to himself. For yes, the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross humble before the nations and yet on the third day he rose victorious and now the nations praise his name even as the hymn says bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood sealed my pardon with his blood hallelujah what a savior the hardships of this world reveal to us the glory of our salvation in Jesus Christ, and they drive us to worship Him. For we know that He has taken upon Himself all the taunts. He has taken upon Himself all the mocking of this world to deliver us. He was mocked that we might praise His name forever. Now, entitling a sermon, How Long?, I've probably presented myself with a bit of a liability, especially a sermon that has four points on a communion Sunday. Some of you, I'm sure, are thinking, how long is this going to last? How long? So how long? How long will the Lord allow hardship and suffering to last? How long will this pandemic occur, continue? How long will suffering mark the lives of God's people? Well, you can take great comfort in knowing that the Lord is not wasting this time. He is not needlessly allowing you to endure pain. I know that we would all prefer the struggles to come to an end, but God is using this time of struggle. He is using this time of hardship to accomplish a great work in His people. For hardship has a way of stripping all of the extraneous aspects of our life away so that we are left with nothing to rest and rely upon but God Himself. And in that place, you will have to answer the question in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of all the things that I trust in in this world being stripped away, is God enough for me? Is God enough for me to stand in the midst of a world of hardship and continue to rejoice even in the suffering? Or do you need all the comforts of this life to love and obey God? When you come to that place, you will see that God is enough, that He is more than enough, that His name is great and that His salvation is sweet. For He is bringing us to a place of distinction. He is bringing us to a place of repentance. He is bringing us to a place of trust. He is bringing us to a place of praise because these are all ingredients that add up together to bring us to a place of revival and reformation. You see, God uses hardship to infuse new life into His people. And I'd give you a challenge. This week on Tuesday... We have set aside a day of prayer and of fasting to call out to God to bring revival upon His church. 
that once again we would see the Spirit of God fall in power upon His people so that more and more and more people would be drawn into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. God brings about revival when His people again are distinct, that we don't just blend in with the world, but the world sees that we are different. God brings about revival when His people begin to repent, turning from their sin. God brings about revival when more and more people are drawn into and folded into a trusting relationship with Jesus Christ. God brings about revival when His people gather together and worship His name, saying that You, O God, are better than anything that we have lost in this world. You, O God, are enough. Yes, I am suffering, but I rejoice in my suffering because it draws me closer to You, O God. And so I invite you, come together with us, fast with us, pray with us. And in the midst of this hardship, know that God, is bringing us all to a place of distinction, a place of repentance, a place of trust and of praise, and to a place of great revival. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you now in this time. Lord, and we confess and we admit that we are so often content with the way that things are. Many of us have lives that are marked with ease and leisure and security. And when things that are out of our control come and disrupt that, it's very difficult for us. We pray, O Lord, that you would do a mighty work within us that you would do a mighty work within us as individuals and as a community, and that you would draw us away from the allurements of this world and that our hope and our trust would be in Christ alone. We pray, O God, that you would send forth your Spirit in power and might, Lord, and that you would use this time to bring great revival upon your church. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.